And a very good uh, morning to you, especially those of you tuning in at home. Hello to you. Uh, well, as uh, many of you will know, we finished a series in Genesis 1 to 4 last week. And we were hoping that this Sunday we might um, do something a bit different and have something of a kind of celebration service uh, for the end of lockdown. But as you know, we're not there yet. We'll have to wait for that. So what we're going to do is uh, have another week in Genesis and look at Genesis 5. And Genesis 5 is a genealogy. It's kind of like a family tree. So um, at first glance, it's basically just a long list of names of people who lived for outrageously long. And so uh, as we read it in a few moments' time, I think you might find yourself kind of wondering a couple of things. The first is this. Why did these people live for 900 years? That's nuts. Uh, now, afraid I haven't got time to go into that this morning, but I have put together a little sheet answering that question, which you can pick up on your way out, along with, let me remind you, the AID micro, big Zoom microfinance um, uh, postcards that are there as well. Um, so take that um, and uh, digest it and read it uh, later on, but don't get distracted by it now. But even if you aren't distracted by that issue at all. I think you might hear this reading and just go, what on earth are we supposed to make of a reading like that? It's, it's, it's the kind of chapter of the Bible that makes you think, this can't possibly be real or right or powerful. Well, the first thing I think we need to do with it is ask God to help us understand it. Because we believe as a church that all of the Bible is God's word, every bit of it. And therefore, this chapter of the Bible uh, is just as important as every other part of God's sufficient, enduring word. So let me pray, and then we're going to read it and unpack it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you're not a silent, distant deity, but you love to speak to your children. So we ask that you would speak to us from your word this morning and teach us more about your character and your will for us, even from this chapter of the Bible, which sounds strange to our ears. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, David, Sonia, Gillam are going to come and read this for us. Uh, but as they do, I've got a little question that I want you to be thinking through while they read. Uh, this chapter may be a big, long list of names, but these are uh, this, is, this is the ongoing story of humanity's beginnings. So this, these, are, these are real people with real lives. So I want you to th just imagine that this is your family tree we're reading here. And as you read it, think, is this a happy story or a sad story? Is it full of joy or sorrow? Over to you, David Sonia. So our reading is from Genesis chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived for 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. 
The days of Adam, after he fathered Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived for 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh for 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. When Enosh had lived for 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan for 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived for 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel for 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived for 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared for 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived for 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch for 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived for 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah for 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived for 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech for 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Thanks very much, Dave and Sonia. <clears throat> Aren't you glad we didn't ask you to do the reading this morning? <laughs> but what do you think? <clears throat> Was that a happy story or a sad one? Well, it all depends on what you focus on, whether you focus more on the beginnings or the endings. Genesis 5 recounts the beginning of many, many lives, doesn't it? And if you emphasize that rhythm, uh, then this is a profoundly joyful chapter. When Adam had lived for 130 years, he fathered a son and named him Seth. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. When Enosh had lived for 90 years, he fathered Kenan. And so it goes on. So and so fathered so and so. And so and so fathered so and so. And so and so fathered so and so. Do you feel the rhythm? It's the rhythm of life. Every baby cry that pierces the air is hope to the world. This is so wonderfully joyful, isn't it? <clears throat> in every child that's born there is so much potential so much promise so much hope but for every beginning there is an ending and if you emphasize that rhythm then this is a profoundly sad chapter 
Do you see it? In verse 5, and he died. Verse 8, and he died. Verse 11, and he died. And so it goes on, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. The baby who lets out its first cry to the world one day breathes its last. This is a chapter of beginnings and endings. And in one sense in this chapter, this is kind of ongoing battle between the two of them. And we're caught up right in the middle of that, aren't we? Every single one of us had a beginning. And every one of us will have an ending. And so will all the people that we love, the people around us, nearest and dearest to us. And I want to suggest that Genesis 5 will help us to be wise by helping us to have a right view of both. So let's start by thinking about beginnings. Look at verse, verses 1 and 2 with me, will you? This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived for 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. Hmm. Well, what on earth is that all about? Well, let's play it back. Verse 1, Adam is made in the likeness of God, you see, this unique God-given capacity to reflect the, the good, gracious, and glorious character of, 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 of God to the world. Then verse 3, Adam has a son, and he's made in Adam's likeness. So if Adam is made in the likeness of God, and Seth is made in his father's likeness, then this precious likeness of God that Adam bought must be inherited by his son. We find that in life, that, that, that there's things about our parents, aren't there, that, that we inherit as their children. So your mum's got wavy hair, so you've got wavy hair. Your dad's got a big nose, so you've got a big nose. He was bold, so you're bold. No, 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 maybe, maybe you're not, but it's coming. Um, I, I keep saying that to my, or at least that's the answer I have for my son when he starts to mock me for my ever-growing uh, bold spot. I say, one day, son, all this will be yours. It's in your DNA. But it's like that here, isn't it? Adam's made in the image of God, so Seth's made in the image of God too. It's passed down, that's how it works. So therefore, Seth still bears this incredible potential to, potential to reflect and radiate the living God in everything he says and does. I want to impress this upon you this morning. When you think about beginnings, every newborn baby from Seth down through Genesis 5 and this line there, all the way to us, there is not one single baby born who is not born in the image of God. We've welcomed eight newborn, shiny babies to our church family through the course of this pandemic. That is so, so precious, isn't it? But why is it? Why are they precious? Why is human life precious? Why should each one of us be, have a right to be treated with dignity and respect? regardless of our differences, even as a child. Why is it we shouldn't just do what the Romans did with children? 
when they're an inconvenience to us, when they're born perhaps not quite the gender that we wanted in their case, and they threw them away, down into the sewers. They put them, the edge of the city, on the rubbish dumps. In our secular world, what is there to stop us doing that? In fact, I read this week story after story of people in this last couple of years who've done just that with their baby boy or girl. It's horrific. But why shouldn't we? The Bible tells us. Because we are created equally in the image of God. Therefore, we have value and dignity. Every single one of us, whoever we are, however we, we, we look or however we come out, our value comes from our beginning because our beginning begins with God. And that means all life should be treasured and treated with equal value and dignity. All life, right from conception, through disability and cognitive to de- to get decay to the very end. Because God begins it and because God has put his image on it. And because of that, life can be, can be incredibly joyful. Yeah, I don't think that is all that we can say about verse 3 and about life. Because not content with the privilege of bearing God's likeness or of reflecting his image of being like God... Adam wants to be God. We've seen that in this series if you've been coming along over these last few months. Adam rebels and so punishment enters the world. Death enters and humanity is driven away. Yes, Adam is made in the likeness and image of God. But Adam walked away from God. Adam walked his own way. And so he is now dying And in this way, too, Seth is like his old man. He inherits the image of God. But he also inherits a body that's prone to sin. A body that is decaying and dying. Just like his dad, he sinned and, just like his dad sinned and rebelled, so too will Seth. And that is why every child grows up to sin too. We like to think that children are born innocent, don't we? I mean, we, we look at a newborn baby and think, how could something so cute and sweet and vulnerable be a sinner? But if you've had children yourself, if you've brought them up, you will know this, that, that you never have to teach your children how to sin, that there's no early learning center toys that you can get to teach your children how to lie. There's no Biff and Chip and Kipper books. I don't know if you've come across these books that that, that teach you how to push and shove and snatch and grab. Uh, But kids do it anyway. It comes to them naturally because it's what's in us because of Adam. We're often told these days that it's it's good for parents to be child-centered, for for family life to be organized around the needs and interests of the child rather than the parents or anything else. But the Bible warns us that every child that is born comes into this world already child-centered. 
That's their natural instinct. They already expect the world to revolve around their desires and needs because of sin. Now, don't mishear me here. We must listen to our children and try and meet their needs emotionally, physically, mentally. We must be encouraging of them. We need to praise them. But in doing so, we must never forget that like us, their biggest struggle in life is not fragile self-esteem or suppressed autonomy or lack of opportunity for self-expression. No, it is with sin. That's our biggest struggle. And so therefore, it's a loving and a good thing to call out our children's sin and not to indulge it. It's a good thing to say no, or don't, or stop it, or enough. It's a good thing to teach our children that there is always consequence for sin. Always. It may not come immediately, but it always comes in the end, which is what we're going to look at in a moment. And therefore, we should teach them it now, as the Bible encourages us to do later on through measured, controlled and followed through on discipline. We must not be naive about this. Otherwise, our joy will so easily be consumed with sorrow. All children are born in the image of Adam. We're not born with hearts that are naturally good and compliant. We are born with a heart that is set against God, that rebels. And that is why all beginnings in Genesis 5 have endings, secondly. Because the penalty for sin is death. Do you remember the rhythm? And he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. Every beginning has an ending. And we don't like endings. Because endings are sad, aren't they? Don't know if you saw Billy Connolly in the news uh, a little while back. Don't know if you know who Billy Connolly is. If you don't know who he is, he's a Scottish comedian. If you do know who he is, then you will know there are very few things that I can quote from Billy Connolly in church like this. Uh, But he did this really reflective article uh, a while back in The Guardian, I think it was, where he said, my life feels like it's slipping away. I'm nearly dead. And loads of people after that, they jumped on Twitter and they said, oh no, Billy, don't say that. You're really depressing us. So he made this little video. Do you want to see a little video? Yeah, of course you do. You know, you can't believe that we're going to just watch a little video. It's only 20 not seconds. Dying, oh, not here it dead, is. Not, not dying, not dead, not slipping away. Sorry if I depressed you. Maybe I should have phrased it better. That's it. <laughs> and I watched that and I thought, that, that's all our culture has to say about death, isn't it? I'm dying, I'm slipping away, I, I, I'm nearly dead. Oh no, Billy, we don't like that. Okay, not dying, no, no, not dead, not slipping away. What? What kind of nonsense world is this that we live in? 
Answer? A world that can't face up to the reality of death. Isn't that what so much of this last year has been about? Our scientific advances have made us so effective at delaying death that we think we should be able to deny it. And so we try and airbrush it from our society as if it will never happen. Living our lives, plowing our best efforts into things that we can't take with us, that will never last and and will soon be forgotten once we're gone. Making our bucket lists, thinking if I can only just cram so much into this life, as much as is possible, then maybe it won't quite hurt quite so much when it eventually comes. But this is, this is serpent speak. If you've been with us for this series, then, then, then I'm hoping you remember Genesis 3. Do you remember the serpent came to Adam and Eve and said to them, don't worry, you will not surely die. But he's a liar. The devil is a liar. Our world so wants to believe that there's no death, no judgment for sin. But death comes because we walk away from God. And therefore we walk into, we are born into a world of death, not of life. And for the many of us in this church who have had a loved one die, we know just how much that hurts. It hurts like hell. It hurts so much because it is not the way that things are meant to be. Death is the great ending. And the Bible says, don't get a banjo and and sit on your beautiful yacht in Florida and sing about not dying. No, the wise person will realize that there are both beginnings and endings and will live in the light of that. Some of us will live longer. Some of us will live less. I mean, come on, think about it. We have no control over that. In fact, not one of us in this room is guaranteed tomorrow. Life is so uncertain. So if you want to be wise, think about death. Not averting and denying it, but accepting it and preparing for what is inevitable. And listen, I, I don't want to be all spooky and macabre. I, I don't want to depress you like Billy Connolly clearly did his Twitter followers. But I need to ask the question, are you ready for that day? Are you prepared to meet the one who made you and gave you life at the end of it? If you're at all uncertain about that, then please listen carefully as we finish with Genesis 5 as we're going to meet someone who was so ready to come face to face with their maker that they bypassed death. Did you spot them there as uh, as it was read out? The man with no ending. The rhythm of new life and death is broken by Enoch in verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, we read, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah for 300 years. And had other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And then it's supposed to say, he died, isn't it? But it doesn't. Instead it says, 
Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. And now you might say, say to me, oh, maybe the writer got fed up of writing out he died. You know, he's getting tired of him, you know, writing that. And he just you know, thought, oh, I need to freshen this up. No, 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 no. There is something very different going on here, which is why we read, uh, why we read Hebrews 11 earlier on. Because it makes it clear in verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. There it is. It couldn't be clearer, could it? And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Can you imagine that day? He's only been around 365 years. He's a spring chicken compared to some of the rest of them. And, and folks are wondering, around going, has anyone seen Enoch? Where's Enoch? You're not thinking years to come, people would be like, what happened to Enoch? But Enoch, in an extraordinary way, bypasses death. He doesn't have an ending. Now, how did he pull that off? Well, all we're told here is one thing, just one thing that is different about Enoch. Twice we're told, in fact. Enoch walked with God. Now, remember, Enoch, like us all, he did inherit Adam's sinful nature. So, like us all, he had a tendency to walk away from God. He still sinned. But clearly, there was a time when he he owned that. He recognized that. And he turned around and started walking back to God, walking with him. Isn't that a beautiful description? He walked with God. And he's not... We're not told that he kept all the rules, he obeyed everything, he lived such a perfect, good life, he was such a model citizen. No. We're told he walked with God. And what is walking if it's not a relational thing? You go for a walk with someone, as many of us have done during this pandemic. I mean, for so many walks. And when you walk with someone, you don't walk. You might walk socially distanced, but you don't walk on opposite sides of the street not talking to one another, do you? People used to start dating back in the old days. I love this. They used to say, you probably, probably know it, they used to say, they're walking out together. I think that's so sweet, don't you? And it's a great description. Because it's a relational thing, isn't it? And that is what you and I were made for. We were made to walk with God, to have a relationship with him. And Hebrews 11 tells us, Enoch walked faithfully he he walked in a way that pleased God that is he didn't walk in his own direction he walked instead in confession and forgiveness he walked in love and worship he walked with and for God and because of that he was taken past death to walk with God forever and we might say well bully for Enoch (laughs) so what well, surely Enoch walking with God faithfully is pointing us forward to Jesus, who lived a human life and, and walked so, so faithfully with God that uh, we might read of his life, look at his life and go, well, hey, well, surely he's going to be like Enoch too and he's, he's going he's to avoid death as well. But he doesn't. He ends up dead on a cross and we go, why? What? what? How come? Well, Jesus there was dealing with our ending. There on the cross, he took 
on, on himself our sin and therefore the punishment for our sin, death. And what he does with death is he drills a great big hole with, through it and he comes out on the other side. He rises from the dead and because he's alive, he is the one that can take you and me through death so that we will live with him forever. And so the simple question Genesis chapter 5 is asking us this morning is, are you walking with him? Are you walking with him? Some of you this morning, sadly, will be walking your own way. But that is the way that Adam lived. And that's the way that ends in death. And so I urge you, I plead, plead with you this morning to turn back, to come back, to look to Jesus, to admit you've gone wrong and ask him to forgive you and give you life. And then to live walking with him, to please him in worship and wonder and love and obedience. I urge you to do that this day. But there are others of us here who will be saying this morning, well, I'm a Christian actually, so I don't need to do that. And yet functionally, we are living as atheists. Walking away from God, maybe stepping out deliberately, distancing ourselves from who he is and who he says we are and, and, and what he says. Or maybe subtly that's happening to us. Just drifting on a tide of apathy. So we haven't even noticed our direction of travel and the danger we are in. And the distance between you and God that you feel, well, you blame him or his church or someone or something else. But actually, it's you. No more excuses. No more self-justifying. Please, Enoch walked faithfully with God, seeking to please him. And this morning, God is calling you back. He's saying, come, walk with me. Walk as you first did when you came to faith. Remember your first love. Live in relationship with me. Love me. Even if it's hurting, even if it's hard to keep going, keep going. Trust me. Give yourself fully to me. Don't hold back. Because all who live in Jesus, like Enoch, will live with God forever. In perfect joy. And so Genesis 5 is joyful because the beginnings outweigh the endings, even if it's just by one. <laughs> but the Bible is even more joyful because it tells us that all who trust in Jesus will have no ending. So there are many, many who will have a beginning and no ending and will walk forever joyfully with God. So what about you? Where's your life going? Towards joy? Or sorrow? Let me pray that through as we think it through. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you that your word doesn't kind of sugarcoat this world and, and, and tell us that everything is okay and it's going to be okay. 
but faces up to and warns us of the reality of our situation. We recognize that while we long for lasting joy in life, there are so many unhappy endings every day. So Lord, we ask that we might discover what Enoch discovered and that we might walk faithfully in a way that pleases you and show others the way to you too. In Jesus' precious name, we pray this. Amen.